2: Beyond the darkness, beyond
1: the human evolution, is Khan, a genetically superior tyrant, exiled to a barren planet, banished by a starship commander he is destined to destroy. Left for dead, he has survived chase him round the moons of Nibia and round the Antares maelstrom and round traditions flames before I give him up. There she is. There she is. shield's collapsing, Captain. Can you your power? A few shots, son. Not enough against their shields. The base is
0: stubborn. Scotty, I need warp speed in three minutes or we're all dead. I've done far
1: worse than kill you. I've
0: hurt you. And I wish to go on hurting you. I shall leave you as you left me, marooned for all eternity,
1: buried alive, buried alive. Sean! Sean! At the end of the universe lies the beginning of vengeance. Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. at a theater near you june 4th greetings my fellow galactic travelers and welcome back to planet eight this is your mission commander larry speaking to you from our hidden base chief engineer bob is here by my side as always in the command center and circling planet eight in our orbital spy satellite is reconnaissance officer karen and on this episode of Planet 8, we're going to a galaxy far, far... Oh, no, wait, that's not it. <laughs> we're actually going to discuss Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. Straight away, let's kick it up to the satellite. Karen, let's talk a little about an episode of Star Trek, the original series, entitled Space Seed.
0: Oh, Yes. So Space Seed is where it all begins, right? Mm
1: -hmm, mm
0: -hmm. First season episode, and uh, this is where we're introduced to Khan. But originally, in the uh, first few drafts of the story, written by a guy named Kerry Wilbur, it was not Khan. It was Harold Erickson, Nordic Superman.
2: The Wrath (laughs) of Harold. That wouldn't work. Yeah. (laughs)
0: So yeah, the original story was was very different. Uh, the uh, the people in the sleeper ship were were actually real criminals, convicts sent into space to get rid of them, unlike uh, what we eventually got where they were uh, rulers and dictators from the, uh, I guess, Third World War, the eugenics war. All that came later after many, many revisions by Gene Kuhn and Gene Roddenberry and who knows who else on the staff. But, uh, yeah, we could have had Harold Erickson. Uh, <laughs> but, no, we got Khan, which I think worked out a, a whole lot better.
1: Would but, have been interesting for Kirk to deliver that line in Star Trek two. <laughs>
0: Harold! Erickson! <laughs> um, yeah. But, no, you know, you go back and you, you look at these different episodes and just like you know Harve Bennett uh, did looking at the episodes trying to figure out some kind of hook that he could use for the second movie and you can see why they picked why he picked Space Seed and Khan because right. you know Montalban's performance is so dynamic and he's such a good uh enemy for for kirk you know he in in so many ways he was you know mentally and physically as he says mentally physically superior to to kirk uh but you know still got beaten by kirk and spock and Grit. the rest of the crew yeah so yeah very entertaining episode i did go back and watch that before we uh, convened and uh yeah. it, it's it's probably carried by montalban's performance more than anything else
1: Absolutely, and and I think the ending was such. Obviously, they didn't plan it that way, but it would be interesting to go back and see what became of the seed that was planted. Mm-hmm.
2: But it wasn't oh, that wow. interesting because they never really went back uh, until... <laughs> <laughs> well, well, until well, yeah, until yeah, until they stumbled upon it. Had but... they gotten seven
1: years, seven seasons one one never knows. Yeah, but then in the movie they stumble upon it. So well,
0: and maybe Khan has a point. You know if. If Kirk never checked up to see what was happening, if Starfleet never came by, you know, and cruised by SETI Alpha 5 Uh to see how things were going, you know, he has a bone to pick, I think, with uh, Kirk and, and everybody else.
1: I mean, whether it was intentional or not, look at how the governments of the world will kind of like liberate a nation or a country or and then just kind of leave all the equipment and pull out all the advisors and, you know, the money and stuff. Starfleet is as good as as it is in the movies and shows. It's still a bureaucracy, which some of the films have tried to, like, deal with. But anyway,
2: intentional or
1: not, Star Trek two happened. Rasa
2: yeah, I mean, Kirk and his crew, I mean, yeah, they basically stranded everyone and then went about their business. But, yeah, I was kind of thinking back when I, I was watching some specials and extras and things on the movie. And, you know, you realize like Harv Bennett and Nicholas Meyer, they knew nothing really about Star Trek coming in. Mm-hmm. Right. In fact, I think it was Harv Bennett that said, "Is that the show with the po- guy with the pointy ears?" <laughs> so yeah, they had to go back. One of them, I think it was, uh, I think it was uh, Harv Bennett that went back and like watched all the episodes on 16 millimeter film in his garage. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, really, if you think back, if if you don't really know anything about Star Trek and you look back at the original series and you're trying to find a villain or an antagonist, who else would there be other than Khan? Yeah. yeah. Maybe Gary Mitchell, maybe Kang from Day of the Dove, but I mean, there's really... I mean, Khan's just... As a Star Trek fan, I remember when they announced the movie and they announced that they were bringing back Khan, I was just like, what? Khan? Why, why are they doing Khan? Because Ricardo Montalban at the time was talking about rich Corinthian leather and he was on the island <laughs> as Mr. <laughs> Rourke and with, you know, tattoo and the plane, the plane. So the plane it was really, you know, it sounded plane. like it almost sounded like a joke that, you know, they're bringing this guy back. But. It worked out
0: well, quite even well. even Ricardo Montalban had his own um, doubts, too, because just like you said, he'd been doing Fantasy Island for years and... He, you know, he had trouble remembering the role and what he did, and and so he had to sit. You know, they sent him a tape of the the episode, and he said, you know, he watched it over and over again, and then he started to like re remember and feel the the character. But then it still took being on set with Nick Meyer and getting direction from him to capture the essence of Khan. You know, he was kind of going over the top, and well, he, he I mean, he is a little over the top in the film, but he was going way over the top, and. Meyer had to kind of reel him in and say, you know, the thing about a crazy person is that, you know, they they can just be calm and you don't know like when they're going to go off. And so it was that capturing that kind of explosiveness, that mm. that quiet explosiveness and realizing, you know, he's super dangerous. It's almost like a rattlesnake or something. You don't know like what's going to happen next.
2: Right. Yeah, And you watching, watching Space Seed, too. One thing that kind of hit me. Other than the fact that in the movie, Khan recognizes Chekhov, even though Chekhov hadn't come in until the second season, so he was not in Space Seed. But uh, I also noticed that uh, Sulu was not in there either. George Takei was right. not in the episode. I think right. he was off shooting, uh, what was it, Green Berets or something?
0: Probably,
2: yeah. So, uh, mm-hmm. so yeah, that was a big chunk of time where he, yeah, was a bridge over the, over the river choir, green berets. I think
1: one or the other, but well, I anyway, think it was bridge.
2: Because I know there was a chunk mm-hmm. of episodes in the first season that he wasn't in because he was off filming, but um, but yeah, I know he wasn't in it either. But that yeah,
0: was Lieutenant Spinelli.
2: That's right. <laughs> yeah, the bridge crew was like, "Who are these people? Where did they all come <laughs> from?" But. I know I know Walter Koenig at conventions would tell this story that Chekhov really was on the Enterprise back then. He just wasn't part of the bridge crew. And he was in the bathroom one time when Khan needed to use it. Yeah. And when he finally came out, Khan looked at him and said, I never forget a face. <laughs> so... That was his explanation for explaining why Khan knew who the heck Chekhov was. You
1: know, as a, as a side note, a sad side note, it used to be fun to go to these conventions in the 70s and 80s and even in the 90s. And, you know, you'd, you'd have these actors up there saying, oh, they, you know, here's an anecdote and here's a story. A lot of the ins and outs of the filming of the individual episodes, they didn't remember because back then it was just a job, you know. But there's a point in time now where we don't have that, and I'm not talking pandemic, but as they start to pass away, we're not going to be able to interact with with these people the way that we did and, and get these little nuggets of information and anecdotes that we can share with others.
2: Well, so, something related to that, which uh, kind of veers off, but I'll veer back Um A friend of mine who was good friends with uh, Jonathan Harris, who played Dr. Smith on Lost in Space, and he would go to conventions and, you know, people ask all these trivial questions about episodes, and and like you say, they don't remember. So his stock answer was always, oh, yes, that was fun. (laughs) Anytime you didn't know an answer to something, oh, yes, that was fun. But I was kind of amazed at those old conventions, the amount of stuff that... They would remember or they were just yeah. making up one of the two. But uh, it seemed like uh, like Jimmy Dewan had a ton of memories from from Star Trek. Yeah. And uh, he, was, Jim, he had, I think he, he had the most that I can remember.
1: Jimmy was fun. And, and Jimmy knew how to work the crowd. He'd, he'd put people in their place. He'd get upset at people. And that's a daft question to ask, you know, <laughs> um, Shatner and Nimoy. They knew how to work a crowd. Um, there was a convention Karen and I went to where they had put people. Uh, George Takei, and Nichelle Nichols on oh. the same time and it was almost like a competition.
0: They, Nichelle yeah. talking to,
1: about her her interactions with Dr. Martin Luther King and George Takei talking about being uh, in an encampment when the, the internment camp and it, it kind of was like they, a tennis match almost.
0: Well, <laughs> they were trying to one up each other on stuff. They, well, you know, Nichelle, that's interesting because I also had an experience, blah, blah, blah. Well, you know, George, I, I did this and blah, blah, blah. And they would just go back and forth and back and forth it was like oh, what, how is this going to end
2: we lived in a well, paper bag and a rubbish tin you, you
1: know george I, I kissed shatner on screen well in the show i won't tell you what i did with shatner so on did i <laughs> all
0: <laughs> right shall we get back to math
1: so anyway back, so here it is they 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 get a tap uh nick myers on the on the shoulder to direct and you know, up to that point, he did um, uh, a version of the time machine. I think it was called oh, Time
0: After, After time.
1: time. Yeah. Uh, good movie. Still holds up today. Um, they also tapped Harv Bennett. They, they wanted a second Star Trek movie, but they wanted it cheaper. And they wanted a dedicated villain, not a space um, entity, uh, as you, if you will, as we saw with V'ger. And so Harv famously produced the uh, Six Million dollar man bionic man and uh weren't you saying walker he was uh, or maybe it was bob because he's watching 16 millimeter films of the original series in his garage to try and get an idea is there a hook is there a villain you know and and who knows we could have seen star trek II: the wrath of trelane <laughs> <laughs> but he settled on con
0: Yeah, and they had they went through a a bunch of different story ideas with Khan. Uh, They had a writer, Jack Sowards, who came on. And Sowards had this whole thing where he had Khan having, like, psychic powers and building this, like, youth movement behind him. And uh, they were going to call it War of the Generations. And it was still going to have Kirk's son. Kirk's son was going to be, like, Khan's lieutenant. And they were going to overthrow the Federation. And it was all this, you know all this crazy stuff um, that didn't manifest, but it still had a lot of the kernels of the ideas that did show up in Wrath of Khan. You know, you had Khan, you had Kirk's son. They had a weapon called, I think, the Omega Weapon. Mm. Um, So there were all these things you could kind of see in rough form that eventually wound up um, appearing in Wrath of Khan. But, you know, like most of these things, Uh, They had to go through several drafts and other people came in and worked on it uh, before we got what we eventually got in Wrath of Khan. But, you know, the the themes that they decided they wanted to develop about, you know, aging and mortality and friendship started, you know, and and the revenge theme, obviously, with with Khan started coming out in those later drafts.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I know know they wanted to make it for... 12 million as compared to what was it, 25 million or something, or 45 Mm -hmm. million, whatever the first movie cost.
0: They had to make it cheap.
2: And so they kind of went with their television division. (laughs) And when they approached Harv Bennett to say, hey, we need you to make this Star Trek movie, but we can only give you 12 million. And he said, I can make three movies for that. (laughs) <laughs> so I think immediately is like you're in.
0: <laughs> right well and like they you know they use the bridge set over and over again they just slightly change it and then it could become the training set at the beginning or it could become the reliant they just move some things around and and you kind of forget that like oh yeah we're we're only really seeing a couple of ships we're seeing the space station you know we're seeing the uh the inside of the, the planetoid and that, you know, that's about it. Almost everything takes place on these ships.
1: Well, it, it goes back to the TV show when they wanted to save money. They mm-hmm. were called bottle shows, right? And the bottle shows took place on a ship or two because the sets were already built. They could just redress them, relight them and boom, you're on a Klingon bridge versus the exactly. bridge. Exactly. So. And
0: like Kirk and Khan never meet face to face in the movie. People kind of forget that, but they, they never have a physical confrontation.
2: Yeah. Well, I think kind of yeah, the structure yeah. of the movie, you know, I think it was uh, Bennett that, that looked at Star Trek and saw kind of the, the naval military aspect of it. So all the yeah. uniforms were more naval. And I want to
1: say that was Nick Meyer. Was that
2: Nick Meyer? Yeah, Myers? that's,
0: kind of that's what I that. got from the different interviews that he took it back to Horatio Hornblower.
2: Right. Um, and then uh, so it was more like, you know an old submarine movie. Right. Yeah, these two submarines. I right. like, you know, I mean, f- yeah. facing off. So yeah, they, they never met, you know, they were always, you know, in their bridges and well, uh,
1: it, it gets back to the balance of terror. I yeah. mean, that, that was a yeah. great episode it still holds up today. And it was based on a movie where run silent,
2: was run commanders. deep. Yeah. Yeah. So well, I, I thought it was good. I mean, you know, we can also talk about, you know, the fact that they kind of pushed Gene Roddenberry back into the, Shadows. He was an executive consultant, executive, I think. Executive, yeah. Mm-hmm. But he didn't like a lot of the aspects. He didn't like the no. military aspect. He didn't like the naval aspect. He didn't like, you know, quite a few things about the movie. But, you know, looking back, I know you guys love the first movie, but they did not want a slow-paced 2001-type movie. They wanted a action-packed Star Wars-type movie. So, yeah, you have to suddenly bring in a villain and have space battles and everything else. So...
0: I think this this film captures a lot of the action adventure elements of original Star Trek. You know, there's a lot of different ideas in Star Trek. I think Roddenberry was unhappy with this because he had become fixated on being seen as a visionary yeah. with a this view of the future of you know, bringing people together, having this peaceful, unified Earth and all this other stuff. But then, which is great. And I do think there is that element to Star Trek. But then if you look at Star Trek, you know, you do see a lot of episodes where, you know, Kirk and Spock are shooting people with phasers. So, you know, I can see how, like, Nick Meyer is looking at it and he's saying, well, I saw gunboat diplomacy. You know, they would go in and say we're peaceful, but, you know, we've got this ship loaded with weapons and we're telling you, you know, here's what you need to do. So, yeah, there is a, a lot of um, conflicting messages going on there. And and that's why even today when you look at Star Trek fandom, there are those people who fixate on the peaceful message and there are those people who fixate on, like, the ships and the phasers and all that stuff. You know, you can take your pick.
2: Well, going, yeah. going like, way, way back to the beginning of things, didn't Roddenberry pitch the series as, like, Wagon Train in Space or Western in Space.
1: Wagon Train to the Stars. Yeah. And you could see by the first pilot, you know, but like Karen said, Gene was at a point in his life where he was pushing Star Trek, you know, infinite diversity and infinite combinations. And by the way, you could buy the Ittik on Franklin Enterprise for <laughs> nine ninety five uh, plus shipping. But, uh, <laughs> Uh, and look, t- to be fair, it, Star Trek wasn't just Gene those three seasons. He was heavily involved in some of the seasons and some of the rewrites. But Star Trek, the motion picture is like the changeling to me. It, it, you know, here here comes this robot that was badly damaged, thinking Kirk is the creator. Not a lot of action. Action, spacey, plenty of action. I mean, Mm -hmm. it it did go back and forth. And, you know, did these ships have weapons? And well, yeah, they did. But so did the other ships that they encountered when they encountered Baylock you know, and, and the Fasarius. you know, here's this ship that the Corbomite might maneuver. I mean, Kirk just kind of like BS his way out of a conflict. Uh, yeah. You're in deep space. You're, you're dealing with what you have to deal with. I'm not saying what he did to Khan was right. What he did to Khan was wrong. And I think that's what makes a good story is you, you kind of feel for Khan. He, he lost the love of his wife. He, he basically went insane on this deserted planet that once it's axis shift, what what could they eat? How how did they survive? I mean, he he went crazy.
2: Well, if not for his superior intellect, <laughs>
1: do not insult the superior intellect, Kirk.
2: Tawn, although I'm although the superior intellect spider. was only two dimensional, oh, oh, oh. right? Yeah, because yeah, that's how he how he was defeated thousand. was Kirk had to think in three dimensions.
1: I I watched this film. Uh, first time with Jasmine we, we actually saw Shatner he was doing the the tour
0: oh that was fun Cupertino
1: yeah. it was a lot of fun so she I, had to I put her cell here. phone away and uh she watched <laughs> the movie and, and she jumped in all the right scenes and she got all you know into it but she would get mad because i would like repeat certain dialogue she's like can we just watch the movie
2: please <laughs> <laughs> Oh, so you're one of those talk in the theater kind of guys.
1: Yeah, under my breath, under my breath. (laughs) Z minus 1,000 degrees.
2: But one Um, one thing I thought was interesting, though, was uh, when they got the script together, they actually sent it to John and B. Joe Trimble. Mm -hmm. So to take a look at and she supposedly circled things and crossed things out and made notes and they thought they would just say, oh, you know, we'll send it to them and they'll say, oh, that's nice and send it back. She like (laughs) edited the entire thing. But they did have the fans in mind when they were trying to make the movie.
1: God love them. Those two helped shepherd a lot of what we know as as Star Trek, Um, not just the original series, but the next gen Um, good people. Uh, uh, you know,
0: I, I also think this this is one of the best performances for Shatner. Well, and, and Nimoy, too, does yeah. a, a great yeah. job. But a lot of the film focuses on Kirk coming to grips with getting older. And I know that Shatner had a hard time dealing with that aspect
1: of the script. Getting, um, getting older? How old was Kirk in this film? He was, he was like was early. supposed
2: to be 50. My God. Yeah, yeah. see? <laughs> I wish I was 50 again.
0: (laughs) (laughs) They actually, at one point in the script, they had a line that said he was turning 50. And he was like, oh, oh." Shatner was very uncomfortable with it. So they took that line out. But, like, Meyer had to work with Shatner a lot on this, and Bennett too, I guess, um, because it was hitting a little close to home. But they, you know, they had to show that, like, hey, even though you're getting older, that doesn't necessarily mean that you know you're not a valuable person that you don't you can't still you know do things and be productive and etc etc and uh i just i thought that you know meyer was able to get a lot out of shatner he would talk about how he worked with him that like sometimes like his initial take was always like too big and too over the top, or you know, kind of cheeky or whatever. And so his method was to kind of do lots and lots of takes to wear him down, <laughs> so he yeah. didn't get tired, you know. And his big example was the the scene where they're gonna take down uh, the Reliance Shields, and and Kirk says, "Here it comes." you know the initial delivery was like here it comes and he's <laughs> like "No, oh, con's a super genius he's gonna know what you're doing if you say it that way you can't say it that way so he kept making him say it over and over and finally by the time he got the last take he was so bored and tired he was just like here it comes you know it was just like here it comes yeah, and that the, was
1: the delivery you know, was brilliant because he, he lowers his glasses at here it comes con and he's <laughs> in that shatner voice and it's just like. Hey, I read that story too. in the view from the bridge uh, book that, that Nick put out a L- lot of good anecdotes like that. Yeah. Stories. Um, I,
0: I watched the film again with uh, I, the director's cut with Nick Myers commentary. Hmm. And uh, yeah, I'd recommend that to anybody if they haven't done so yet to watch with the commentary. Cause he has a lot of good little anecdotes.
1: Definitely. Definitely. And then um, if,
2: if you look at Spock, slash Nimoy. I mean, he didn't... He, th- he did this movie figuring ah, oh, this is going to be the last one, you know, right. and mm-hmm. I'll just do it. But the character of Spock, though, in the first movie, he had gone through the, well, uh, the culinary. Mm-hmm.
0: He, f- he failed the Kolinar.
2: And so he was kind of not quite Spock in the first movie. In the second movie, he was Spock. In Rathacon, he's Spock. He's in charge, you know, before, sh- before Kirk takes over, he's captain of the Enterprise. And then... Of course, spoiler alert, he dies at the end. So then right. in the next two movies, he's trying to reform and regain all his memories. So he's not quite Spock. So this is like the one movie where he's Spock. He's really the Spock he, that well, we and remember. 6-2, yeah. I think. S- yeah, 6-5, six, six, I guess. Came back, but.
1: Yeah. This was the most balanced version. Spock had come mm-hmm. to terms with his human half. Right. And his Vulcan half. And and this was the best version of Spock, yes. in my opinion.
0: It was like he had matured, right? He went from yeah. being the adolescent who was, I, this is an analogy, of course, but, you know, yeah. the adolescent who doesn't know who he is and what he is and everything. And then after the experience with V'ger and seeing how barren V'ger was, he realized that he was okay being half Vulcan and half human, right. right? He could he could manage that.
1: And the relationship that he had with, I'm going to cry.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know, there, there's that part, point in the film where he says, you know, Admiral, you are my superior officer. You are also my friend. You know, and they have that whole conversation about the needs of the many versus the needs of the few, which will pay off in aces at the end of the film and the beginning of, of uh, Star Trek Three. But um, this was just, you know, when you think about all the adventures that they had together and the relationship that they built. And as with any good book or, or movie or TV show, we take that relationship that we're reading about or we're watching and we equate it to our life, whether it's with our siblings, our friends, our family. And this was just so beautifully done. I mean, from start to finish. Yes, it was the Wrath of Khan, but it was also saying goodbye to a cherished friend and and brother. And, and Nimoy had whatever business reasons and, and rationale that he had to, to leave Star Trek 2 and if we have time we'll get into how they convinced him to come back for Star Trek 3 and the rest of the series as well as the J.J. Abrams films but uh, you know just moving forward with that that story uh, it was just great and then bringing like you said Montelbon, who just is so charismatic I've, I've told this story before at a convention and it was uh, Shatner and Montelbon, and it was like well We never saw each other in the film. But, you know, here we are, you know, face to face on the on the stage. And they they had about, what, 10 minutes together, Walker, and then 30, uh, 20 minutes separate. And Montalban had a very bad back problem. And this was towards the end of his life. He probably had a few more years left, but they had him propped up in this like really nice armchair to Mm -hmm. sign autographs. And uh, Will Viharo, Will the Thrill from Thrillville, had played Neptune's was it Neptune's Daughter, I believe? Neptune's Daughter, yeah. And Montalban, it was one of his first films. And everyone's up there, oh, I love Corinthian leather, Mr. Montalban. I love you in Forbidden Island. and Or not Forbidden Island, <laughs> Tennessee <Fantasy> Island. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's a plug for a Tiki Lounge here in Alameda. And I go up and I'm like, oh, Neptune's Daughter. And, and he looked up and, oh, that was old Hollywood. And had a conversation. And all my fellow geeks next to me were like, oh, my God, he's talking to him. <laughs> It was a great, great experience. I I have my Rathicon poster signed by Shatner and and, uh, Montalban. And um, it, it was it was a fun time. But but back to the film. So. They were able to bring not just Nimoy back, but they brought back Walter because Walter was a holdout. Walter wasn't going to do Rathakan. He didn't want to sit there and check off photon torpedoes. He he wanted a story that involved checkoff. What do you guys think about the checkoff part of the story? So
2: did this go all the way back to the animated series again?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm sure he was he was a little pissed he wasn't in the animated series. Still holding you know, a grudge.
2: <laughs> but yeah, I mean, obviously, that's probably why they added the whole scene with him and Khan, even though they had never met before.
1: I, I thought it was interesting that they they had him on the Reliant. He he wasn't part of the Enterprise crew anymore, you know. And it kind of you know neither was Kirk, so you could tell that some time had passed from the original series from the motion picture. They were they were going off on their different you know career paths
0: well realistically almost everybody should have been moving off to other ships (laughs) but you know you you can't can't break up the can't break up the crew um yeah it was cool to see that you know okay well Chekhov is moving off he's oh he's become first officer on another ship that's neat uh, it's interesting to read, you know, that he they had him review the script for accuracy as well for like like the Trekisms, And he was just sort of like, do I need to tell them that I wasn't in space? Nah. scene?"
2: <laughs> <laughs> the needs of but, the know, many, he, you
0: know, actually I, I the thought, needs of the uh, one
2: outweighed the needs of the many in that case. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, I
0: was never a huge Chekhov fan. I hate, oh, I hate to say locker. stuff like that. Um, but uh, the role he played in this was really good. He was, you know, kind of the, this connective tissue between, you know, Khan and and Kirk, bringing them together a little bit. So I thought he yeah. did good.
1: I I, uh, I like the the design of the of the Reliant. You know, we've mm-hmm. we'd seen other ships in the series, and they all, at least the Federation ships, almost all looked like the Enterprise, and they probably were the Enterprise, just with. Different name and and uh, badges on the, on the ship, but uh, I was reading. I can't remember where uh, Harve Bennett was uh, working on a, a woman named Golda. There's a television made for tv movie and and they send him the design for the reliant and he approves it but he's looking at it upside down that's why the <laughs> nacelles are below the saucer section in the initial drawing the design they were above as all starships to that point uh were made and so they got it back at ilm and there wasn't enough time you know there was no internet or anything they couldn't send him another telegram so they're like well he, he signed it with the nacelles down and that's what they went with and um I, I think it became a very iconic ship. I mean, a I, uh, small plug for Eagle Moss. Uh, I have the Eagle Moss uh, extra large version of the Reliant and, and the Enterprise, and it's just a, it's a beautiful ship.
0: I think it's better looking with the, the nacelles on the bottom. And, I mean, not only does it differentiate it from the Enterprise, but it's almost a sinister looking design. So it's like, oh yeah, this is the villain.
1: Well, it was reminiscent of the Klingon, the D7 battle cruiser, right? With their nacelles on the bottom. So it was kind of like, oh, bad guy. Um, Funny story. We, my friend Jay and I were going to watch the first JJ Abrams film, or maybe it was Into Darkness. I think it was Into Darkness actually. And you know, they were asking trivia questions before the film to win some red vines or whatever. And See if you guys know this. What, you know, the Enterprise is NCC-1701. What is the numerical designation for the Reliant? Is it
0: 1865?
1: Very close. 64? Eight, 64. Okay. 64.
2: You guys and, are amazing. Yeah. I didn't even remember. <laughs> and, well, so, and
1: Jay looks at me like, how the hell did you know that? And I'm like, shut up and eat the red vines. I'm a geek, Okay. <laughs> But anyway, um, Kirk's son, what an interesting, interesting part of the story to bring in. And unfortunately, did not carry forward past the third film. Thoughts, feelings on missed opportunities with that? Were you surprised Kirk had an offspring? Did it? Add to the story of uh, the Wrath of Khan, because, you know, they're, they're juggling a few stories here. Obviously, the Khan story, the Kirk and Spock friendship, um, you know, Walter Chekhov's, you know, ordeal with the with the eel in the ear and Captain Terrell. Um, did did David make an impression, you guys, story
2: wise? You know, my my one big question about David. hmm. I mean, how old was Merritt Buttrick when he played the role or how old is David supposed to be? I well,
0: read... Well, I think David was supposed to be, I think, 22, something yeah. like that.
2: And mm-hmm. then it, there's a line that Kirk says, Where I haven't seen him in 15 years. So why didn't he know that Kirk was his father?
0: Oh, I thought that line was referring to Khan.
2: Mm-hmm. No, I thought it was referring because he's talking to, you know.
0: Because I thought he says, There's a man out there I haven't seen in 15 years
2: who's trying to kill me, kill
0: me.
1: show me a son that the would son have
0: have, be glad to help him.
1: Be glad yeah. to help him. Yeah,
2: yeah. I don't so it know, wasn't. I don't. Maybe I misunderstood, but I thought he was referring to.
1: to well, and, and look with with movie years, it's it's just like you know Star Wars episode three to episode four. How old was Luke? How old's Obi Wan? How old is Vader? You you kind of you know they screwed up, and you just kind of either go with it or <laughs> you know kind of like well that doesn't make any sense
0: what's the thing he knew he knew about david apparently had he met david or had he had she just told him about I david what
1: you wanted i stayed away well yeah so it's, he knew
0: he knew yeah it's um
1: and she wanted david in her world not his <laughs> Carol galibanting around the galaxy in a starship
2: and then what does she do? She takes him out into space on a space station.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: and gets attacked by a genetically superior madman who kills almost everyone on the station. Good job, Mom.
1: One of the pinnacle moments for me in the film is when they're in the Genesis cave and, you know, Bone's like, well, what the hell you want to eat? What's wrong with you? Well, but first rule of survival, you know? And he's sitting there eating and he's uh, you know, they talk about the Kobayashi Maru and, you know, can I cook or can't I, you know, it took Starfleet Corps of Engineers so many months to. And uh, well, this is it. This this is the no win scenario. And Kirk looks with a smile and rips out his communicator spock it's been three hours what's the status and they're all like what the hell and i don't like to lose and then the music kicks in
0: it does kind of summarize kirk's character
2: oh
1: my god it just it's I don't care how many times I read about the film, watch the film, m- my adrenaline is pumping right now just thinking about that moment.
2: <laughs> so well, I mean, there's the... certain themes that like, are carried out in the movie, whether it's the, the Kobayashi Maru theme, which mm-hmm. basically mm-hmm. follows him through the entire film, or whether it's the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few or the one. And then, uh, you know, you also have the, the aging aspect. I mean, there's a lot of threads in this film that just like carry through the whole movie
1: oh yeah and even beyond i mean you know some of the stuff carries on into other tv shows they talk about the kobayashi maru and
0: does knowing that spock will be resurrected diminish the impact or enjoyment of wrath of khan for you
1: uh, that is a very good question
2: i don't know because they-, they said they did it at a test screening and a lot of fans were coming out all depressed and everything and they wanted a more upbeat ending. So they added that to it, but you know, I would have been more of a surprise having him back in the next film, you know, coming the way they brought him back. But
1: it's interesting because Harv Bennett was a studio guy and, and the studio wanted a not so sad ending. And, and Harv was like, Oh great. We'll, we'll take the casket and we'll film it, you know, in, in a forest and, and Nicholas Meyer was like, no, 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 that is not the story that I signed up to tell. And over the years, um, you know, Nick is like, well, OK, I guess it was, you know, OK. Um, but Spock was supposed to be dead. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I, I was devastated. That was <laughs>
0: the first movie I ever cried at.
1: Yeah, I mean, what was this, 1983? 82. 82 so i i was in my teenage years i can't do the math i was 14 13 (laughs) and me and my friends we all walked out crying you know and it's it's like you know teenage guys don't cry in front of each other but we were just like and and we had that one thread of hope that well he's in a better place he's you know on the genesis planet and we all started thinking wait his body's on the genesis planet they can bring him back right it's star trek um So I'm okay with it. My my long answer is, I was okay with with Spock landing on the Genesis planet.
2: Yeah, I mean, I you know I was fine with it, and I know they just like backed up the Brinks truck to Nimoy's driveway (laughs) and (laughs) promised him he could direct the next two movies, and he said, "I'm back." But, well it, it, it wasn't a done deal, but it um, did leave it ambiguous so
1: they, yeah. they left it ambiguous so Star Trek 3 could have went one of two ways that you know Spock is on this beautiful new planet and the Genesis effect had already taken effect and it didn't have any bearing uh, or effect on his body and he's just laying in rest in you know peace his the Katra. That was the thing that that kind of caught me in Star Trek Three. It's like these Vulcans have this soul that they can, like, throw a piece of into, you know. Yeah. Yeah, but it's Star Trek, so it's like, ah, okay, well, you know, Kirk, line in the fold. Kirk did, you know, become part of Leslie. Uh, oh, God, what's her name? Anyway. Well, Souls I mean, of, the, yeah, go ahead, Walker.
0: Well, it's just, I mean, you think about what would they have done if they didn't have Spock? I mean, they could have kept Savic and kind of tried yeah. tried to move her into that spot, maybe.
1: And they could have done it successfully because Savic was Spock's student, if you will. You know. Mm-hmm.
2: Well, speaking of Savic, are you in the Alley camp or are you in the Curtis camp?
1: Alley. Alley. Definitely.
2: Alex. <laughs> <laughs> there was Without no hesitation. Zero
0: hesitation. What about you,
2: Bob? No, I preferred her. I, I'm just wondering why she did not continue in the role. Cause I, I didn't never really saw anything about that.
0: What was it? I Unless she went on I to get, Cheers
2: at the time, but I, I,
0: I think, yeah, she had moved on to something else. But then Robin Curtis, who they brought in, um, I think, like for Star Trek VI, they originally wanted to bring Savic back, but then they decided, well, they weren't, they didn't want to bring Robin Curtis back. Because they weren't entirely happy with her performance. And then Kirstie Alley was not available. And then there was some discussion about, well, do we really want to make Savick a traitor? And so nah. then they just created um, Valeris instead. Can't but I mean, when you all. watch it, you can tell. It's like, eh, that's really supposed to be Savick.
1: So. Yeah. Um, it's too bad. I. Th- I think Savick would have, yeah, had Nimoy not come back, I think Savick would have been fine. And even when Nimoy came back, I mean, too bad it wasn't Christie Alley.
2: But, um... Now, one I thing just... they never really explained in the movie, supposedly Savick was, what, half Vulcan, half Romulan, right? hmm Right. And there's that one kind of throwaway line where uh, McCoy just looks at her as she leaves the elevator and says, wonderful thing, that Romulan ale. But, yeah, they never really explained... That fact or they never really follow up on that fact in her character. Yeah. They never had a chance to develop
1: the character past that. And, you know, honestly, Star Trek, those those movies were about the big three. I mean, it was it was fun that we had, you know, Uhura, Chekov and um, Sulu along for the ride. And Scotty. Uh, Yes. And Mr. Scott, Uh, you know, and look, eventually Sulu got the Walter treatment and he got off the Enterprise and actually became a captain. (laughs)
2: So, (laughs) You know, it's funny. One character that when I was watching Space Seed, I kind of realized, you know, this was like the most underused regular character in Star Trek. And that was Lieutenant Kyle in the transporter room. (laughs) He might have a line here and there. He usually gets knocked out or pushed aside or whatever. But, I mean, he was in quite a few episodes and they never really... Did anything with him other than leave him standing in the transporter room? Yeah. But he,
0: he got to be in Wrath of Khan.
2: He he did. He got to be in Wrath of Khan.
0: He was on the Reliant, so he's still hanging in there, even though he's always on the sideline.
1: It was it was interesting. Nimoy, uh, you know, he was done. Star Trek Two, Spock's dead. Studios telling Harv. We want Spock back, and so they start talking to Nimoy, and and Nimoy's like, you know, we'll we'll talk money, but I want to come back in and I want to direct. And the studio's like, no way, shape, or form are we going to have an actor direct a major motion picture. And he, you know, whatever discussions, whether Harve helped him, I mean, Nick Meyer stayed on as producer for for the other films, but Nimoy got to direct three and four. And a lot of people, you know, they they think, well. Two's the best, but some people think four is the best, and um, you know we can we can discuss that another time. Which camp we're in and why, um, but yeah, Nimoy, and then he you know directed Three Men and a Baby, and you know a lot of other things. After Star Trek Two,
2: and did the Ballad of Bilbo Baggins?
1: <sighs> that was before Star Trek Two.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> it was interesting. Nimoy, there was an interview, and uh, he was in that uh, made-for-TV movie, The Gold of My Ear, uh, with Harve Bennett, and hmm. they were out in the middle of nowhere, and they'd finished filming a scene, and they go to this restaurant, like a Moroccan restaurant or something. They order, you know, whatever, and out comes Nimoy's soup, and the soup had like. The Star Trek insignia in Parmesan cheese, you know, and nobody said anything to him. Nobody asked for an autograph or anything like that. They very very respectfully brought the soup out gave them their meal and then he's like it was the most out of the way place that that you would ever think anyone would know about star trek but they knew you know and and they were very respectful so these movies and and this tv show obviously it lost launched a franchise with the next generation and deep space nine voyager enterprise the jj abrams films speaking of which as as we're coming towards the end of our podcast oh, did either no. of you <laughs> Did either of you watch Into Darkness and do you have some thoughts about their version of Khan and how, spoiler alert, they switched the Spock and Kirk roles almost in that Kirk dies at the end of the movie without giving his katra to McCoy?
2: (laughs) Remember,
0: I didn't I didn't watch it again.
2: You did not. Okay, I couldn't I couldn't I I couldn't watch it again. (laughs) I I, I (laughs) enjoy parts of it.
0: (laughs) I enjoy parts of it. I like kind of the whole thing with um, who is it? Peter Weller as the the Starfleet Admiral who is, Mm. you know, trying to be a warmonger and he sucks kirk into it and all that stuff but the khan stuff doesn't make any sense because the whole thing with wrath of khan is that they have a back history Uh you know and and kirk uh khan wants his revenge on kirk so in into darkness you know khan doesn't give two bleeps about kirk (laughs) so it doesn't make any sense it doesn't it just like it doesn't he doesn't care. He doesn't, you well, know,
1: Kirk is an ends to a means. I mean, you know, them flying in their suits to get to the ship. Yeah. You know, they're, they're almost working in, in, I mean, on team.
0: This is kind of my problem with the, the new Trek movies is they don't, I think it's, it's all a lot of glitz and they don't really have a deep understanding of Trek to me.
1: There are moments, there are moments to me where the relationship, uh, when they act, the actors come together and they have some dialogue and there yes. are some. And, and the
0: actors are pretty well cast. It's just, I, yeah, it's more style over substance. For me. I mean, yeah. I
2: really like the first one and a half movies. I like the first <laughs> film. Into Darkness, I like about the first half of the film. But as soon as Cumberbatch says, I am con, the whole thing falls apart for me. 'Cause then it was just a retread and oh boy, they switched roles and thing, you know, and it, and if you look at the continuity of the films, you know, I mean, Kirk and Spock are at each other's throats at the first in the first film. And the second film, you know, Spock meets old Spock and old Spock right. says, Oh, you guys are gonna be good friends. So suddenly there's this big bond. I mean, they kinda rushed. I mean, obviously yeah. the emotional impact of Wrath of Khan is that you've got, you know, 40 years or whatever of, well, at the time, 20 some years of history between these characters in the new films, you've got uh, like a movie and a half. So they kind of rush it and force it. And yeah, I think. and again, you know, I, I, Cumberbach, yeah, you know, he's a he's a good actor and all, but as far as the role goes, he is in no way does he compare to Ricardo Maltabon.
1: Oh yeah. No, no. Yeah. I, I agree with you on that. Would have been fun if Peter Weller would have been like con all along and, and Starfleet used him to cultivate a weapons program or a whatever and he finds out where his his uh friends are and he goes rogue. I don't know. Well, Peter
2: I mean Weller's in, in all the villain. lead in all the lead up to Into Darkness they were kind of ambiguous to like who this character is going to be, who is Cumberbatch actually playing. And at one point there was a theory going around that he was going to be Gary Mitchell. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, that would be cool, you know, bringing back Gary Mitchell and he's got those powers and he's, he can do all the things that you see in the trailer. But then it turns out to be con. It was really kind of a, really kind yeah, of a letdown. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's it like, was oh a waste. boy, they're going down that route. You know? Well, my friends, we have
1: come to that part in the show uh, where we share the latest and greatest, or at least most interesting item in our collection. <laughs> and uh, this week's sensor Sweep, uh, this episode's Censor Sweep, goes to Karen. Karen, what do you have to share with us today?
0: Well, uh, appropriate to our discussion today, I'm going to talk about a book. Actually, it's two books uh, about Star Trek. Wow, imagine that. <laughs> so uh, the books are called The 50-Year Mission, The first one is called the first 25 years. The other one is, you know, the next 25 years or last 25 years. Kind of forgot out already, but thereby... Edward Gross and Mark A. Altman and if you enjoy learning all the behind the scenes stuff about Star Trek uh, you would really enjoy these books what they've done is made an oral history of Star Trek so they went out and they spoke with um, the people who made the shows all the way from the original series through the movies through Next Generation, Deep Space 9, Voyager etc so they, they talked to the um, Producers, directors, writers, actors, and interviewed them about various episodes, movies, etc., and and got all kinds of tidbits of information. Um, it's a great read, even though these are really thick books. Uh, it goes really fast, and uh, I find myself going back to them over and over again when I think of something about you know, oh, what happened? Like for this Khan? I was like, oh, there was a thing in there about the original script for Rathacon, so I went back and looked it up. So anyway, I would recommend these books highly. Uh, very entertaining.
1: Now, are these on the Lincoln Enterprise uh, <laughs> or uh, Amazon? Yeah.
0: <laughs> and if you buy both, you get an IDIC. Um <laughs> Yeah, you can go to Amazon and get them. You, you might find them in some fine bookseller. Excellent. Uh, but yeah, really good books.
1: Well, thank you very much, Karen. Um, as we wind down this Wrath of Khan Planet 8 discussion, any last thoughts, comments?
2: Well, okay. just, despite my reservations when they first announced it, he turned out to be a great character and it uh, would have maybe even been nice to let him carry on a bit. Past well, I the movie. But- that
1: too, Bob. It would have been interesting to, uh, to have had him... Escape from prison or something like that rather than kill him off. But I think poetically ending the film the way that they did, uh, you know, it it worked out. They brought back Spock, so we got someone back.
0: (laughs) Well, and it's, you know, it's stood the test of time. We all go back and see this film over and over again. Indeed. You know, emotionally, it's very satisfying.
2: Well, I know, you know, two and four are definitely the most rewatchable of the star trek movies
1: not five what does
2: god mean (laughs) starship what (laughs) see five is always the one that i'm like yeah i should go back and look at that again sometime and i never do but (laughs) that's about Uh, as far as it goes for me for rewatching it over and over
1: there's a book the making of star trek five and i would think it was lizbeth shatner pretty sure it was lizbeth who uh, who put that together. And, you know, the writer's strike and all this kind of stuff was going on at the time. And what they wanted to put on film and what they were forced to put on film was two different things. Um, not, not to defend, you know, the, the work, but there there are some moments in it. I mean, my biggest problem with five was Cybok. Same issue I have with Michael Burnham. It's like, why did you <laughs> never mention your brother and half sister or, you know, half brother and adopted sister before Spock this.
0: Spock is a very private individual.
2: Spock has this whole clan we don't know about.
0: <laughs> there, yeah, there's four more brothers and sisters that we don't know about, but they're going to make series about them.
2: <laughs> the thing about Five that, that kind of cracks me up is that they started releasing like two-disc sets of all the movies. <laughs> and the second disc was like the director's cut uh, like all the way through four and then they were five was up next and Shatner was like all ready to do his director's cut and they're like no we're not going to do that this time yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh,
0: poor Shat That's and that bad. might the have actually
2: been 90. the one that needed yeah. a director's cut yeah
1: we're, we're lucky to have Mr. Shatner with us still He is uh, he is quite the entertainer I'll tell you oh yes Hey, you know, we should do a Planet H Shatfest at some point. <laughs> Devil's Reign, Incubus, Star Trek, White Comanche. Oh, my God. You go on and on. Anywho. This well, draws, so, so,
2: uh, work on getting him for an interview. And if we do, then uh-huh. we'll do a <laughs> yeah, Shatner episode. Yeah,
1: I'm good I can, can do, him. I'll impersonate Shatner throughout the episode and we can kind of have him interviewed that way. <laughs>
2: uh-huh. We'll just right, go grab, we'll grab clips of him from other interviews. And-
1: we're, we're meandering now, so I think we should draw this episode to a close. <laughs> you guys stay safe. Take care. Until next we meet. On that note, this will conclude this transmission from Planet 8. We would like to thank all of our intergalactic audience for listening. Be sure to head on over to our website at www.planet8podcast.com where you can get more information on this episode's topic.
0: For more conversation, find us on Twitter at Planet8Cast.
2: Or on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Planet8Podcast.
1: We want to thank you guys for tuning in each and every episode. We look forward to your input and opinions. Until next time, this is Planet8 signing off. End transmission. By George, he's got it. It is the end.